Hello and welcome to the Fram Jacket podcast with the founder of Fram and the maker of the jackets and the talker of things, uh, Nick Hussey, that's me. Um, and this episode is really, really special. First of all, because I think it's really, really good. Like for me, I just feel like it's probably the best distillation of where, where I'm trying to get to with Fram. Um, and I think one of those reasons is it's because it's with someone who's a really genuine hero of mine, um, Mark Herbert who is the co-founder of Warp Films and producer of some of my favourite ever films from around where I grew up, uh, with one of my favourite directors, Shane Meadows, who did This Is England, um, and he did recently The Virtues with Stephen Graham, and, you know, actors I absolutely love, Stephen Graham, uh, Paddy Considine, it goes on and on, and because of my love of film, my wife's love of film, um, and, and British real film it's just like a massive thing and then it turns out Mark is in cycling and so we got to know each other through that and he's just everything that I think about with Fran which is he's an honest down to earth bloke who tries really hard and has succeeded at things also you know is you know he's very open the fact that he's had a really you know tough times in his life I don't think he'd ever say he'd had a really tough life I think he would think that was over the top but you know he there's some amazing things he's doing and has done um from a kind point of view as well as from a creative point of view and it's just such a great chat because i built it up quite a lot because i've been trying for 18 months to do it and he's just been too busy not surprisingly um including having a bit of a sort of breakdown which he talks about and and also because it's a big deal for me um, and it's a big deal for Fram, really, you know. Um, so, so for it to just be great, probably because most of the time I let him talk uh, for once, um, I'm just made up. And so if you want an example of what Fram is about excellence in what you do and trying your best, but also knowing when you're hitting the wall, but knowing when things are going wrong and not presenting, you know, a veneer version of jackets or the world or yourself then this is it so um ab podcast you know there are other podcasts are great in many different ways but for me probably because i just listened to it again finally you know a couple of weeks later i brought myself to re- listen to it because i get scared that it's rubbish that i've backed it up you know i just think yeah mark nailed it brilliant so thank you so much to Mark, you know, uh, what a fantastic bloke, and I think you'll really enjoy this one, uh, especially if you're into film. Hello, Mark Herbert. How are Hi. you? I'm all right, thank you. Very <laughs> I always say that like because I just feel like so forced way to start. Um, so... Um, I always like to give a definition of what I know of that person. You can maybe tell me if there's something different how you perceive yourself. So you are a uh, producer of films and TV programs. Yeah. Um, and you are co-founder and managed director of Warp Films. Yeah. Um, not co-founder. I mean, it was founded by a couple of mates. Okay. Um, uh, did the record company, but then I joined before, before they started to trade, if you like. And took over as, as now joint CEO. Cool. Um, and yeah, and I produce produce some of the material as well. Um, you are a dad, 
and you um, you work with Shane Meadows, uh, British director, hopefully people know about, who's famous for uh, this in England. You've just done the virtues recently. Yeah. So we're, I've got a chance to, I've been chasing you for 18 months really, or you've been, <laughs> you actually chasing me in the end, yeah. which is very nice. Um, but we know each other, you know, a little bit just because um, you're actually quite into cycling. Yes. Um, and I had a cycling company called Volpine and you had a bit of our kit and then you very kindly invited us to uh, the, um, the live playing the music to um, Dead Man's Shoes. Yes. My all-time favourite movies. Um, I think the BFI, something like that. And we had a yep. and stuff. That was it. My wife is a producer of commercials and films and looks up to you a great deal. I used to produce commercials and music videos, so I have to declare, so I get this out of the way, because I hate the whole fan sort of stalkery <laughs> thing. So there is an aspect of me who goes, holy shit, it's Mark Herbert, he's made some of my all-time favourite films, not just saying that, because you say here, like, genuinely, I'm from East Midlands and from South Nottinghamshire, and, you know, Paddy Constantine's my favourite actor, and there's all kinds of shitloads of connections, warp, tech music, there's just everything mixed in there, you know, having been clubber, etc. So, like, warp, what you've done, Shane done, etc., is incredibly close emotional connection to me. So I'm going to completely ignore that, slightly <laughs> ignore that. Um, and I don't want to sort of make this a purely film podcast and how did you do that and you yeah. know what Shane really like or any of that sort of fluffy stuff, as I call it. As I, I'm always one with Fran to talk about real life. Yeah. And what I would imagine, just from having brushed it across production, actually literally around the corner, uh, a small place called Nice Shirt Films when I was in making commercials and music videos, was just that actually most of production isn't that glamorous and it can be very, very hard and family life and stuff like that. And just the real life of, it look, it, everything looks great. You look like, you know, this big producer uh, and, and you are, but there's also this probably a hell of a lot of shit you have to deal with as well. Yes, I mean, it's probably, it is a very, I mean, it's a great job, don't get me wrong. You wouldn't be doing it otherwise, I guess. Um, there are lots and lots of amazing things about it, creating, working with creative people. Um, so I'm not going to sort of, you know, but there are some certain amounts of stresses about being a film, TV producer, CEO of a film company, which is a kind of hand-to-mouth existence, which mm. is, you know, you, uh, you know, as soon as you've delivered a film or a TV project, you've got to be worrying about the next one. Uh, you've got staff. And it's years in the making of a lot of these things, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, the, the sort of, if you think about um, a couple of films that, like Ghost Stories that we did, one of the late last films that we did, we, and Yardy, the Idris Elba film, they were like five years in development. Wow. And then the two years to make, you know. Um, uh, Virtues was actually quite a quick development process because it's Shane and he's got this great track record. But then the edit was 18 months. So these these projects take over your life somewhat, yeah. like a lot of things in business do. And that's always been a tough thing to balance out. Mm. Um, and I still don't know if I've got the, the answer. I don't think any of us have. I don't think we um, do, really. But there are little things that you learn as you get older that, um, that you try and implement. But ultimately, the main thing is just the... the the twenty four seven nature of production. Mm. Um, it's quite interesting because uh, I just finished a film. Uh, everyone's talking about Jamie, which is mm. a musical, which is a bit of a departure from Warp uh, in terms of it being a musical. Um, is it with Warp or is it separate? No, it's a Warp. Yeah, mm. it's Warp production. Um, 
And what's interesting about that is that it was a 12-week shoot, uh, which is a long shoot. If you think that Four Lions that we made was five weeks, mm. Dead Man's Shoes was three. Wow. 18 days. This is England was six. Is that... So... Dead Man's Shoes, was that a budget restriction more than anything? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, budget restriction. Right. Yeah. I mean, often it is. Um, and also, the budget was the aesthetic of that film in that we, mm. we, we, we realised that we wanted to make a film that allowed Shane and Paddy to do what they do brilliantly. And by stripping away all the tools and making it as lean as possible, the crew were what we could fit in a minibus, famously. That was what mm. we decided. So we had little things like no, not massive of camera equipment, the actors in the modern day only got changed, never got changed, wore the same clothes. Right. But you didn't need a big costume yeah. and makeup. Yeah. We filmed on location with natural light. So those yeah. things mean you can film quicker. There's, a, lot of, there's some, a degree of freedom involved in that. A massive well. amount of freedom. Mm. I mean, the last film I did, we, it's like the circus coming into town. Mm. I mean, some days we had thousands of extras. Wow. In costume, it's a musical singing and dancing, so the complications. So you're probably filming. Dead Man's Shoes were probably uh, sort of filming, filming a little bit, 90 minutes. So what, if three weeks, you, you're filming a lot of minutes a day, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in 12 weeks, you, you know, your amount of things that you're actually putting in a can that end up in the final edit is much, much less. It's maybe one and a half minutes a day I, I never, of material. I always, um, when I, I, I can remember um, some friends were desperate to come on a shoot when I was doing a music video. And I said, honestly, you, you, you know, like it's a really not glamorous thing. And they turned yeah. up; they were extras on a, I think it was a Magic Numbers uh, track, something like that. And and I had to beg them not to leave because I they were making up the numbers because <laughs> yeah. uh, they it, it's basically it's just yeah. sparks walking around, <laughs> moving stuff around, and the rest of the time you're standing at the sausage, sausage rolls. You know. Oh yeah. I mean, I my, it was quite funny because some of the stuff that I've made in the past is. The subject matter can be quite dark, or it's quite, you know it's not something that you bring your kids on to set. For. Right. Um, and you know, my, all my kids. Well, my eldest daughter did a bit of running on it, and the kids were came up to set. Uh, How old are your kids? One, Evie, my eldest is twenty one in Feb. Bethany's sixteen in Jan, and I've got Sam who's twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what was interesting is that my mum and dad wanted to because they've seen the West End stage show. Mm. Like, what well, can we come and be in it? Because they loved it, and it was like literally three hours in, right. and, and some friends were like, we, "Are we doing it again?" I <laughs> <laughs> couldn't understand that we were doing this thirty-second scene right. all day from right. every angle possible, covering every actor possible. Mm. And there's that, but yeah, it's quite. <laughs> they, they just think it's, it's a lot of pressure of, for you. Something like, do you think, or do you don't feel that? I hate it when family come on set. <laughs> not hate it as in because of them but because you feel a black it's you I'm in a different zone mm, and that's mm. that sometimes is probably going back to what we're talking about just the the insane hours and pressure and because production is so you know the 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 amount of cost you're doing per day and you might only have an actor who is a lead mm. like for two weeks or three mm. weeks of the 12 mm. so you have to shoot all of their scenes together or an active thought. So that, you're balancing that. So you, you're having to do those hours and the, the efficiency, you've got 200 people that come on day one of crew, 200 crew members who have not, most of them haven't met each other before. Mm. And all these actors, obviously they've rehearsed, but they've not rehearsed massive amounts like they're doing theatre. And you're just trying to keep this mad thing floating. And, and something always goes on. Uh, yeah, three things a day is my rule and, and if you get your three you're like okay three, three things go wrong every day and I'm saying three things that could be like something not to know and, and four bad things a week you know 
that's like pretty much in the fan yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah. And you've got to be so efficient. And so you cannot, because you, if you've only got, like, so we had, uh, you know, and the last time we had an actor who was uh, literally flying to the States um, on this Saturday morning, and he finished on the Thursday. And we had to get all of his scenes in and him change his hair for when he went over to the States, in which right. he was going to the States for five months. Right. So you've got the pressure to get those scenes mm. in. And you, and we had to... <laughs> It's crazy, we're not in LA. The pressure on creativity as well, I guess. Well, there's a pressure on creativity, but also the, one of the... It was funny, because we had American execs on this, American finances, who came to set a lot, and they could not believe our weather. <laughs> and I mean this in the... And I mean this... It's really weird. On days we wanted rain, it was sunny, and we, had, we brought rain machines in. Days we needed sun, it was raining. That British weather, it's so... And you can literally... This summer was crazy. We had, like, oh, yeah. four seasons in one day. Like, cold, windy... Sunny, cloudy, mm. but because you might be shooting a 30 second scene, of which the light's got to be consistent. Right. And you do one person's close up for three hours, you turn around and suddenly it's raining on the close up of the other person in that yeah. scene. Yeah. You stop, you have yeah. to go and do something else because you cannot, you know. I mean, I know there are things you can do, but they sort of like. Mine. So it's a crazy amount of like the, the variables of what can go wrong. And, and I don't think people are quite always understand what is also achievable. My wife uh, infamously, for, in our family anyway, once did a car commercial in Iceland and there was a sudden blizzard mm. and literally the blizzard came down and you, you couldn't, you literally couldn't see where you were walking and the car was completely covered in snow and the uh, client said, why, why are you not stop shooting? And they went, well, this is dangerous. We mm. literally can't see anything. They went, just take it and post. Everybody says that now. Can you move it? Yeah, it's changed so much since we did This Is England, the film, which was on shot on film. And you, know, you get a car or a modern car parked when it's supposed to be 1983 and it can completely ruin the shot. Right. And taking it out in post then on film was a massive expense and mm. time consuming. And that was a low budget film, really. You know. And then, um, so now it is literally just paint. Because uh, on This Is England, it's interesting you say that. The street we filmed on had loads of satellite dishes, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be 83, yep. filmed on the street in Nottingham. And that then we had to negotiate with the, uh, with the neighbourhood to take all of these satellite dishes down for the two weeks we were doing the exteriors, and then wow. put them back up again. Right. That was cheaper than, wow. than doing... Now you paint them out, and yeah. it takes like 10 minutes yeah. on digital. So it is imagine. crazy. And what if somebody it refuses to negotiate and they want their skybox for the whole time? They, that's <laughs> an interesting... I used to do that job called location managing and that is a skill mm. in itself, negotiating. Because ultimately, we're just a film crew and right. the worst thing is... And coming, from, coming up from the north and growing up in a little mining town... Um, and the first film I worked at the locations was Brassed Off back in Basel. You do get these people who come and they think that they can own the place just because they're in a North Face jacket and got a radio <laughs> and, um, and they drive a uh, Land Rover, right. probably. And, um, and there are these, and it's the easiest way to wind up. You've got to integrate yourselves in the community, make mm. them feel part of it. If you can, you know, obviously there are some people that don't mm. want you there, uh, which you have to deal with. But we always, and Shane's great at this, we, you know, always make sure that we don't feel like we're these outsiders that are coming in, taking the piss and then leaving, you know? Um, and so the location manager, I've used the same location manager from Deadman Shoes to Jamie, actually, so for 20, and he's great. He just knows how to talk to people. Mm. Doesn't go in waving money around, because that's also yeah. the problem. Yeah. And because, you know, you go and sister, I remember once, there was a load of people and we had somebody, get, get, you know, he 
there was supposed to be no washing out on this day. Mm. Just these two women getting up really early to hang the washing out. And these, and I remember somebody giving somebody 20 quid to put the washing back in. And we went to film the next day and everybody had the washing out at seven in the morning. And it was like, and suddenly it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. why, course, why wouldn't you do that? You know? So, so yeah, so we tried to, on the, on the gym, we tried to get people in as extras, mm. make them feel part of it. Um, and that's a big important thing. I, I think um, talking about that in the locations is um, I really I try and always remember that we're all peers. And so I, I really hate it if I'm called Sir on the phone. <laughs> it's kind of disingenuous anyway because, you know, and also I just really hate that deferment. We go to a posh restaurant. I'd much rather go to a pub and have a meal. You go to a really posh restaurant and suddenly people are saying, you're better than me. And I, I absolutely hate that. It's a horrible feeling. Yeah. Um, and I guess we're all looking for respect, basically. So. Yeah. And it is, and it is that respect, and it's talking, it's looking people, you know, um, looking people in the eye, being honest, mm. just saying, please, will you just, mm. would you just mind moving out of the way for this scene? Because you're going to, but if you want to come and watch, mm. if you go and stand where we are, you can watch everything. But in the moment you're in shot, as opposed to, get out of the way, it's a different, you know, it's just. That, I was just thinking about it, is, is the, uh, the, the, that sort of respect and interest in other people really shows in the work you do obviously Shane does because um, you know that it's a it's just a, a group of people that generally don't get onto mm-hmm. films mm-hmm. Um, and an aspect of life and it's never done with a sort of sneering attitude and everyone's you know everyone's got their own lives that are sort of fully formed and you know that's what you know I guess relating to Fram is I'm constantly interested in by and, and not shocked by but fascinated by not always in a good way is that I talk to people all the time, so it's one of these sort of byproducts, bad phrase for, you know, sort of talking honestly about mental mental health is mm-hmm. that strangers, men who feel they can talk to me because I'm kind of a stranger, but they know that I've been through something, kind of feel they can talk to me. And um, and so, you know, it's it's terrible that they, they feel I'm the person they should talk to. I'm not qualified, so I've, I can quite often feel quite uncomfortable. I'm very happy to help, but I, I, I can't help with them. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trained to do that. And I was thinking that that um, a lot of the work that you've done is about empathy, and it's about relating to stories and things that people people have done, gone through and are, are trying to recover from, or have recovered from, or they keep cropping up. And um, just to finish my sort of splurge of information, is I read about um, Shane Meadows, uh-huh. what he went through as a kid, yes. and that really deeply affected me because I was I wasn't. Uh, uh, abused, sexually abused, but I was um, really badly physically abused for a lot of my childhood. And um, by just kids at school, I was just beating, had the shit beaten out of me almost every day. And um, yeah, I had a bit of a sort of man cry over that one. But it, it, as soon as I saw that, I think I'm, I messaged you actually, I just said, now it all makes sense. Yes. That amount of empathy, yes. that caring about what people have been through, only comes when you've had it. Yes. Yeah. And, and now it ties up, now I get what he does. Yeah. Like, why does it? Yeah, I know, it's incredible. And I think there's always, obviously that was very, um, there's always a, a, an autobiographical nature to, to, to Shane's work. And also, what I love about Shane is whether it's Combo in This Is England, who, you know, he, there's no black and white mm. in these characters. Yeah, that's important, yeah. There's no good and evil. They mm. kind of coexist. Mm. Also, humour you know, humour and darkness coexist. You can have the, you know, Shane, it's a brilliant thing where mm. you're laughing one minute and then you're horrified the next. Yes. And that's where he grew up, you know, and I can, I, I think me and Shane got on so well, 
it's the, we probably grew up in a similar environment. Uh, um, I was in South Yorkshire, and he grew up in um, in Utoxeter. Mm. Um, similar family, you know. Like I think there's the similarities there to knowing what that was like and that period of life. But what Shane's got brilliantly, and not many, is this: he's just always searching for the truth. And even if it's dealing with what Lol went through, and this is England. Mm. So even though that's not something that he at that time, you know, it, it, she, they were dealing with a subject matter that he immerses himself, and actually, the actors bring a little bit of their past to them uh, mm. to, to the story. Um, he's constantly listening. Oh, it was um, unbelievable. Definitely. And he, so, so obviously virtues, and actually that's why I'm down, down today. I'm meeting Shane mm. in a couple of hours. We're 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 going to the Mind Media Awards, mm. which virtues up for, up for. Um, a, a nominated in the best drama category um, and I think that you know that just I mean that that story it's just I mean like people could not believe I've had people come up to me I actually saw somebody at the weekend who uh, a lad I go and watch football with who had had his demons with alcohol mm. and said that the first episode which was really literally so brave for Shane to sort of literally just really just tell a story of one I mean there are there are moments in that that are completely against drama traditions in terms of TV you have a whole part where a guy doesn't really talk mm. and doesn't talk to anyone there's no there's no you know there's not a lot of other characters in it. it's just a portrait of one man Steve, brilliantly played by Stephen Graham yeah. and that's so brave to do but I've literally had so many people come up to me and this guy I saw on Sunday went to watch the Liverpool Man U match and he was saying that scene in the pub he just said he's been there he goes in on his own and then cut to eight hours later he's mm. somewhere he doesn't know he's going to be mm. that kind of on and off switch vibe the mm. sort of once you pop you can't stop and we were just had a very open chat and I think what you're talking is that it's different you know like you, you I guess because of some of that work people do sometimes come and talk to me and I've opened up a little bit a lot could open up a lot more but you know I think it's really important that blokes talk <laughs> Mm. and admit vulnerability we don't admit our vulnerability no. you know it's always taught be strong you know be you know be brave stiff up a lip stop wipe your tears away yeah yeah kind of vibe and you do that and actually sometimes when you're at your most vulnerable having been, and I've had a few times in the last sort of five years really where I felt really really bad and um, and I had to take some time off is that it's you don't admit it and mm. then it's too late <laughs> Especially if you're a producer, uh, you, you're all about solutions, about getting there, making sure it happens. You know, mm. it's never say die. You know, yeah. uh, you know. But I see that in my wife. She's, you know, I, I was always like an executive producer. I was basically just dealing with clients and making sure they're happy. She, she's a proper producer. She's a proper organizer. She's a fine solutions. And I think that also tends. I've seen from other people to happen in your personal life is yeah. I just need to find a solution to this I'll work it out it'll be fine yes. I just need to nail that, that thing of course oh god it's, that's when it's the, the hardest thing to do when you can't you think like literally I'm a problem solver I'll yeah you, you, you instigate a project you, 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 you don't inst- often instigate but you, you see an idea or somebody comes to you with an idea you then help that person enable make that idea get it funded build a crew get the right team around it you go and shoot it and then you do through this but constantly every day there's a problem and you're there to solve it the book stuff you know and you I have an incredible team of book and I've got this thing now where if you learn I will try and deal with every problem 
because I grew up on little, especially on low budget films when there's 12 of you in a minibus, you are dealing with every problem. Whereas on a bigger film, when you can't, if you do that, your head will explode. Right. Um, you then go like, just, okay, anything up to six out of 10, you deal with seven, let's talk, eight out of, you know, mm. and you have to put these little structures around because if you try and micromanage and you don't delegate and you don't trust people, and that's ultimately it, you've got to find people, mm. and I work a lot with heads of people that I've worked with for years. Um, it's been able to, you know, when you're doing that day in, day out, and day in, day out, often my things when things fall down or that you're getting hyper-stressed is when you're trying to take that home with you. Mm. And you, there's a different dynamic <laughs> at family life, mm. you know, and your job is there to deal with it and you've got a bit of, but, you know, you've got family, I've got, you know, com- it, family life isn't like that. Right. You don't, can't just sort of do what you've learned over experience. Yeah. You can be caring, you can listen, but you cannot. So that push and pull of family and work is a really hard thing that I've tried to navigate with for years. You were away a lot as a producer as well. Yes, I used to be more than... The weird thing was, I was actually more away when I was a location manager. Okay. Because location managers, you might be employed for six to nine months. Wow. Um, and you're away. And you're in a car. You're just searching. Sorry, searching. And weirdly enough, one of the things that made me become a producer was when my wife, Anita, became pregnant. She got pregnant with Evie. And I was location... And I'd thought about being a producer. I used to... Mm. Work, location managing, you're the first person on a job and you're driving directors and producers and writers around. We're really early in the process and you're finding the locations. And I just used to listen. What's great, you pick them up from a station and you drive them around for three days. But between locations, you were just a taxi driver. And I just used to listen. Right. And it was like literally two hours of the most amazing, better than any film school of when and I worked with some brilliant producers and I worked with some not great producers mm. and I picked up what I felt was directors and writers having their vision taken away from them often wow. and I was like this is wrong you know I literally thought and I could you know, I'd love to do this I think I can do this I kind of know locations is great because you get to know all the crew mm. I'd had no experience of post-production so when I, one of the reasons I wanted to become a producer was one to be in control of my own destiny a bit and also I didn't want to be away nine months of the year when we're about to have our first child, Evie. Mm. So I thought, I'll be a producer. And I just, you know. And how did you go about doing that? Well, at first, <laughs> completely naively, met, you know, we um, just thought, oh, let's develop some projects and just got an office and, you know, well, what do we do with it? Who's what next? Is that you and Shane? Or? No, no, this was, with, this was way before Warp, actually. Um, but what was great then was that I used to do budgets for people and schedules because I've done production management, location management. So I knew how to structure a production. Right. So to keep the bill, to pay for the bills, which weren't much at the time, my house, 32 grand was the house that we lived in, um, little terrace house in Sheffield. And so, so it wasn't a massive overhead. My wife was nursing, so there was, literally she paid the bills. But to keep things ticking over, I'd do a schedule for someone, or I'd do a couple of days location mm-hmm. managing a commercial, or I'd do a couple of days doing a budget. So that kept me, things ticking over. And then I got, um, and then I produced, became a producer for hire. So I was trying to develop stuff, but I would then go and work for the company. So it wouldn't be something that mm. I'd generated. And the, but I would be hired as a producer. And the first proper producing gig I got was Phoenix Nights. Oh, the cool. The first series. Wicked. Peter Kay, because me and Peter met on us and got on, loved the subject. And was that, that, was, that was in, um, so it was in Bolton. Yeah. Farmworth in Bolton and Granada Studios in Manchester. Mm. 
And that was a baptism of fire as a producer. But what was amazing is nobody knew at the time that it became a success. And then, but like anything, which becomes a success, you then it's easier to get an interview for your next yeah, job. Yeah. Um, and you I did to, that. You had to take that risk, though. Yeah, yeah. And I was really, I was younger than most of the crew, and it was it was tough. Um, uh, I was away a lot then. I was in Manchester. We just had Eve, Evie was a toddler, but it was a real eye opener and a real great learning curve. It did well, and then Warp came about. Um, there were a couple of mates that I played football with, had a record company, had a vision to create this film company that was actually going to do many short films and videos and really cool, visionary. And um, I helped them out with the business plan. And then tragically, this was Rob and Steve, um, who set up War Records. And Rob Mitchell tragically got, got diagnosed with cancer and died not long after. And it was during the sort of aftermath of that, and I got offered a lot of things to produce for another company. Right. But I just love what we're doing. Um, just after Rob's wake, actually, it was we, me and Steve, who is the other the mm. Walt Records um, co-founder. We got on really well, um, drank a lot, too much, and we're like, literally, at the end of that sort of like week after the funeral, we're like, right, I'll, I'll take this over for six months. And if I do, because he was ready to just maybe jack, he didn't know what yeah. to do with his company having lost his business partner mm. and a record company to run. So we just went into, we met and we met up a couple of times and was like, right, I'll try and get some projects off the ground. This is what you think you need to do. They'd had, they'd had a grant from a company called Nesta. And I said, but I want part of it because I'm going to give up. I'd set up this partnership with someone mm. else. Mm. Wasn't quite working out creatively. I've been offered some of the things worth a hell of a lot more money, but just took this risk and yeah. went from having been offered a job which was paying decent producer weekly fee for a like forty week contract and did the Chris Morris short, which was four grand. That was <laughs> for a I year. Can't name, but it was like a barcode, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was Paddy. Yeah, uh, yeah. My wrongs. Yes, uh, isn't yeah. it? My wrongs and a number. No, yeah, right? no, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, that, I can remember watching that and going, "Oh my god, it's Chris Morris and Paddy Considine." <laughs> Paddy Considine, and that was really yeah. the instigator of. Dead Man's Shoes and then since then everything has happened quite organically right it's always been contact contacts but it was that big step it was that big risk um, all I'm thinking all the time is uh, like as a I don't I try not to call myself an entrepreneur because I'm a small business person because then I stopped trying to think big which was the problem with my previous company you know, trying to get too big which is unsafe and now it's a family company because it's there to support the family it's not to become yes. big or famous or like that. but I can't keep thinking basically or you, you set up a company and every production you do is basically setting up a business. Mm-hmm. It's having an idea, getting it funded, putting together the people to get it done, yes. making sure it gets done, dealing with a shitload of problems and making sure it, you know, it's the A to Z. Yes. That, that's what I love about what I do is, you know, if you don't do anything, nothing happens. But if you do start stuff and you stick at it and you deal with the problems and you don't give up, eventually you get something that you can feel really proud about. Yes. That's why I do what I do. Yeah. And that's when you said early on that it's tough. Because, I, I, you know, you got mate, you know, and I've done those, I've done so many different jobs. I mean, especially when you're early days in your career and you're volunteering in films, companies and working as an intern, you know, you might work as an intern, but you're still doing your bit of landscape gardening, bit of bar work, painting. Is this all in Sheffield? Or yeah, what? yeah. This yeah. is all. And, and I guess... But what's great about what we do, there is a end, an end result. 
so you work on something that might really take its toll on your health and right. your mental health and your and your physical health mm. exhaustion but you've got something to kind of show yeah and that's I don't I did you know that. yeah and it's really interesting because without that I don't think I'd have lasted anything like this really time. no not at all because you come to the end and I've you know and there's a thread that you could hang on to yeah I mean it's it's interesting because I know when we did lose touch for a while it was because um, well, a couple of things one is and is that I literally like literally collapsed with exhaustion mentally and physically after a project and it was just to do with the you, adrenal fatigue whatever you want to call it I was literally just working on this project for two and a half years um, it was it was this is England 90 mm. it was tough on me you know like everybody's all the I remember the, me and Shane were in London away from our families in the edit and we were literally working on the fourth episode while the third episode had just been on TV we watched the third episode in Shane's room at the courthouse <laughs> oh hotel. God. and they're thinking that if we don't finish this yeah. There is nothing to put on telly on nine o'clock. National on night. TV. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just relentless. And this is a build up. This is a build up. And we both are feeling it and you kinda of have that pressure of being mm. feeling guilty about being away from your family is one thing. And your the hours you're having to put in are just and I just remember literally coming uh just going back that last week and I did a talk at Channel Four. It was really weird. I did this talk for the staff at Channel Four about about the show because mm. um, even though we'd not even <laughs> technically delivered it right. uh, the last step and I remember getting on the f- and I was just feeling I felt alright I felt alright went to this talk and it was like the last thing and things there was a few things happening at home with my kids a few issues and I remember getting on the escalator at St Pancras and I literally just got to the top of the escalator and nearly passed out mm. and I literally just had nothing left mm. I really just like somebody helped me got me Got me a sweet cup of tea, <laughs> you know, and I got on the train. Is it train, people around you, or you? Uh, yeah, I just was like wobbly. Um, I didn't faint. I just felt really, cre- you know, really crazy, and uh, it was busy. It was that kind of like, m- like that sort of mad five, six o'clock train. And anyway, I got on the train, and uh, this is England went on telly on the Sunday night. Um, I couldn't watch it. Just couldn't watch the last step. Sometimes you have your friends around and it's right. like, or family. Mm. Couldn't watch it at all. And then the next day, I just couldn't get out of bed. Mm. And then the next day, and then the next day, and then a week later, I was still struggling. And so it's new to you, this? I'd had exhaustion before. Right. And you always have this thing at the end of a shoot where you get a little bit, you're working with all these people and it's insane, you've got this like mad extended family, and then everyone leaves. Mm. And a lot of people get what they call the blue, that post yeah. blues. Yeah. Post-shoot. You've got all these hormones yeah. running around, and then suddenly, and you're on this agenda. But that's at the end of a shoot, and that goes after a couple of weeks. Yeah. And you're in the edit, which is a totally different rhythm as a producer, because you're going through looking after 100 people to only having five or six people to yeah. worry about, and they're just in a dark room all day. Um, and so there's more less things that can go wrong. Mm. But this was different. This was, and this was just to do with, I think, the responsibility, the fear of maybe not getting it on. Yeah. Um, the fear of um, pressure. pressure yeah what if we you know you're going through that what if we don't what if and you think about the worst case scenario and I think it was just and by the way this is after like a couple of years yeah yeah that's um, what I'm thinking is all the time we're smashing and it's just little and it was just that, that famous straw that broke the camel's back and I guess yeah, this yeah. thing and I felt relieved 
But I, I couldn't, I just, I had nothing. I had literally, the tank was empty. And that was interesting because the tank, it took me weeks to fill it up again. Weeks is not bad, by the sense. Yeah, but it was like weird. Horrible weeks. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I've, I've always I've always got a lot of energy. I'm mm, quite a, mm. I was like a high level kid. Yeah. I, you know, like literally nothing, nothing. Oh. And literally, I just eased them. <laughs> People take the Mickey now because apparently, when I when I'm really stressed at the end of a job, I literally finish the job, and I cannot just stop. I normally jet wash everything or decorate some bedrooms <laughs> because there's something about stopping that is mm. doesn't work. You got to grade down. Yeah. But some of the jet washing is amazing because there's something pleasurable in it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's you, you're seeing something, yeah. you're seeing the, your, your path get clean, but there's no thoughts in it. It's kind of you're outdoors. So, yeah, famously, every, in fact, after, the, after one job, I even jet washed the neighbours. Um, <laughs> just because I was, <laughs> but somehow that is. Can I get, that. Wash your throat? No, it's all right. No, yeah. I, really, I really need to. It is that, but that's terrible. But on this one, I had nothing. Right. Nothing. And it took me a while. And How did you get back? You just did nothing, or um, I tried. Well, it's very because also. Were you scared? Uh, yes, very. Um, look, you know. Um, what did your wife think? Well, look at she. I mean, she's great. We, you know, she she's been a nurse. Um, she's got a caring sort of mentality anyway. Mm-hmm. Always has had. I think that, um, but we've had a lot of stuff going on. We've got. To, I've got so family-wise. I've got a beautiful family. We've got two adopted kids. But uh, Bethany's 15 and Sam who's 12 Sam's got learning difficulties so we have got quite it's quite a, you know family's not straightforward mm-hmm. we haven't got the sort of classic and there are complications in raising a, 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 a not only raising a kid with learning difficulties but also just adoption anyway I mean we adopted yeah. them when they were like 11 months and 13 months it's but, a mentally stressful process I believe but it's quite a stressful and it's different and we go through and we, you know you're you going through issues on that so we had our own, there was a lot of stuff going on at home. And, I, and then you have that guilt thing where you feel, I've not been around, I've been neglecting. And for all the intents and purposes, all you makes think you're just having a nice time in a hotel in London in Soho. Right. And, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and you don't look after yourself. Mm. You don't do the kind of things that I have to do to keep myself all right mentally. It's actually weird enough, it's exercise. Yeah. Oh, no, totally. Um, but when you're that tired and you've been working away and you come home at the weekends, you can't then go, I'm going to go and play football this on Sunday mm-hmm. morning with my mates, or I'm going to go on a bike ride for four hours, or whatever. It, you, you know. Are those the things you do? Footy and cycling? I, used to, I played footy until I'm 48 now, I played footy until I was 45. Um, for the last, <laughs> you know, this, and then I took up paragliding, <laughs> as you do, um, six years ago. I don't, I've not done any this year. Because it's one of those things that you have to keep current, and I was really busy with it. But, but is that something you have to maintain? Then you can't just jump out. You could, I could, I could. You have to have a license, okay. and but it's not about it's it's for my own sort of safety. I just I've right. just not not done. But I did that quite religiously for a few. That was a mm. great relief. Mm. But those go out the window when you're in when you're working in London. Yeah, you live in Sheffield, and then you start grabbing at food, and then you start grabbing at beer, and oh, totally. And you yeah. cannot walk. It's interesting now because we're doing post. I mean, we, the post that we're doing on a couple of projects, we've now got a flat because there's a few of us in Sheffield that come. And there's a different. What I've realised is that what's really difficult is when you just want to go home. Mm. And you do this at home all the time. You just want to just chill out in the lounge, watch telly, listen to some music. Mm. Whereas in your hotel, you just don't want to go and lie in bed. Do you know? Right. You don't just want to go and lie in bed at eight o'clock at night when you finish. Yeah. 
And also it's really hard to walk past the bar when you've got a couple of people you've been working with all day mm-hmm. and go and join a pit. And you need to sort of just let it soak out. Really. Yeah. And that was the danger working, having so many friends and sort of advertising, music industry and, you know, because me and my wife were doing the same thing for a period. She's all, pretty much always done it as I was doing it for a period. But you just see that some people get really badly absorbed into that lifestyle, smashing it during the day, caning it in the evening. Yeah. And then suddenly you get to a certain age and you haven't got a family. You're not necessarily you have to have a family, but they'd sort of, their life was the catering, basically. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's a hard life, you know, usually, or was a well-paid life. Ooh. Actually, that's something I wanted to ask you about, because I, I think I might have read something that you and Shane are interested in, I'm I always interested in, because, you know, I, I desperately wanted to get into anything that was remotely film-related. Yeah. Um, and I found that out because I left... I did sports science at uni just so I could do more cycling, and then I was working at... I don't know if you were ever a clubber, but I used to work as a bar manager at Cream. Yeah, um, yeah. And so mid-90s, we're similar age, yes. you know. Um, and, and so I got sort of pulled out of Cream to go and work in this club in Manchester, uh, which is incredible. Leave Union, basically, and go to Manchester and run a club. It's absolutely wow. fucking unbelievable. Um, and, uh, and, and so that was sort of cr- the creativity. And I just loved booking DJs and finding new DJs and stuff like that. And I realised that I really loved the creativity side. And I actually didn't, wasn't that into the glamour. And I saw the really dark underbelly of drugs trade and yeah. stuff like that. It's funny, I was just talking to you in my previous podcast about that. Um, a really, really formative, short one year. Yeah. Just really intense. And then I was a wine merchant. and other, But I realised I have to do something creative. And... And the way I did that was because I was quite good at sales. I just ended up selling directors to music companies yes. and ad agencies. Basically, I was the director's rep. Go around with my DVDs or my UMATs in the beginning mm. and, and show that off. Um, but um, I can't remember why I started this <laughs> conversation. But I think what, what, I no- sorry, what I noticed was that I did an extremely untraditional way of getting into film because yes. I basically went in as a sales guy and realised that there was a, a room for a different kind of sales and I did a different kind of director's repping which is about trust rather than taking people out and getting people pissed because I wasn't very good at that <laughs> whatever but but most of the time you were a runner mm. and I've realised this more and more having employed people in London is how can you if you don't come from money how on earth can you get into film it's, it's, it's interesting because how can you live well I mean I just there was a thing there was a, ski, a thing I did a couple of talks on actually last two years ago, which is really about you know diversity in film and there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff around for diversity which is good. and one of the one of the, what they've started to realise is socioeconomic as in you know working class uh, or people and it is frightening and there's some studies out there to do with certainly with my job as a producer there are not many of us that went to state school right. No, not even. Not not, I'm not even talking about working class here in that traditional way. No. I'm talking about actually not going to a private school. Yeah. Obviously, I think when writing, there is, in terms of writing, there's obviously some amazing voices. Like, if you think about the best TV to come out the last few years, and film, acting, directing, there are much more. Although it's still tough, it's harder. Uh, but in terms of this, what I did, there are not many of us from a that were from a state school. And so, for when we when we when I was start when we were starting walk from my shedding, 
literally in the back of the like a converted garage wow. um, the back of the but they were in the back of my garden that's where we did Dead Man's Shoes and This Is England the film I had an office uh, I could use an office at Walk Records in Kentish Town so I could have my London meetings mm. but what was great about that and it was deliberate is that we didn't want massive overhead no. so there's just me and Barry who's still with me now as head of production and we literally the back of the garden and it meant that you could survive those lean times because you the thing with film it's still the same now you may earn nothing for two years mm. and then you it's, a bit, it's, it's like I guess like architects or something you, you then you, you're trying to get funding to design something you design it you sell it you get a fee from it and that's the money that you how just, did you live to get those films made? so like I say when we to, to be honest my wrongs it was the first thing that we did with Chris Morris I I didn't I, the money that I earned that year just about covered the mortgage we lived on my wife's nursing mm. money but we didn't have I didn't have a big expensive lifestyle no. I'm not into cars never been into cars I had a house that was that, that was cheap mm. uh, the mortgage was very little um, uh, I had a shed that you know there were the, I didn't have an office, mm. and so so. Don't get me wrong. Now I'm sat in my office in London. I've got an office in Sheffield. We've got staff, but it's not. But it's a, a posh a, office. No, it's, it's not. It's, not um, it's a nice office, but it's not. Uh, you're not no. showing off your wealth or your success. Well, no, there isn't. I mean, to be honest with you, I always say this. I do a lot of talks, and there is not a. I mean, there is there is not huge amounts of money in independent filmmaking. But there's a presumption that people see something on the TV or see it in a cinema. You must be living the life, have everything. Yeah. But but also, I think there's this. So something I've been going through recently is a sort of realignment about what life is. And I think one of my obsessions with Volkheim is about I wanted to prove to myself the world that I could do an incredible world beating yeah. thing, like overarching ambition, the bullshit ambition, yeah. basically. And I don't know where that came from. Doesn't really matter. But having had that knocked in the head and actually being forced to concentrate on my family. Yes. Having to forced to look after my kids not because I didn't want to because I didn't before because I didn't have yeah. time I didn't have the focus so I suddenly go that's better so this is a better life and I don't want to have to go through that shit again yeah. that was far too stressful so now I want to start a new business I love running small business I've got ideas I want to be creative all this kind of stuff but I want safety I need safety what I did to yeah. my family isn't fair I don't want to do that again and I want to be able to see my kids yeah. so how do I construct that and what I was saying to you when I came in was like what I've just done and wrote this blog which is incredible it got so well read is just talking about basically getting rid of debt yes. and so we did the what you didn't you did it the right way is <laughs> me and Emily basically did the classic London thing we arrived in London didn't earn very much suddenly did really really well worked really hard got very well paid yes. got lots of stuff yeah. got a big mortgage a big house and all that and then realised eventually well, certainly myself and hopefully Emily agrees that we weren't very happy uh-huh. just had a lot of shit yeah. and a lot of debt and a lot of problems and we gradually have just been changing that and fundamentally changed that over the last few years been forced to realign and now you know I have a lot more freedom I've ever had to it uh, hopefully um, because you know I'm not owned by the man yeah and but that the last time that happened was when I was in my early 20s yeah um, and it, it's very nice I'm just much more tired <laughs> you know well you do and yeah, I mean, I think ours was just, I don't know, if I was living in London, who knows what path it might have taken. Um, but because we really wanted to remain a Sheffield company, 
uh, I love London. I'm not a, one of these northerners who like is God. Oh, I, I love being down here. I love hanging out. Yeah. Great place. I don't want to live here. No. That's all. I'm into the. I'm. I'm at the edge of the Peak District. My. I love walking. I've got two dogs. What have you got? I've got a Vizsla, uh, who's eight, and a and a working black lab. So two big dogs. I'm literally five minutes from the peaks, which is great about Sheffield. Like I say, paragliding was my for the last six. That was my main thing. Mountain biking. You know, those are. That's what I like. That I I literally crave that space. But that's the antidote to what you do yeah. in working on. It's totally the antidote, and it has been for years. I've always been into that the kind of the the, the outdoors, mountains, mm. hills. So I live there because I choose to live there, and uh, you know, and it's not. And Sheffield is not. Weird enough, it's not that much. I mean, you can buy a house cheaper, of course, but there are certain areas you know, like. But it's not like massively cheaper. It's just you don't need as much money. No. And in the early days of the business, we didn't need that amount of money. Outdoors is the playground for me yeah. anyway. When we had money, we used to go. I, I, I love going to nice restaurants, um, but London paled for us once we had kids and priorities changed. So basically, you don't have time or money, so what's the point? Yeah. You can't do any of the London stuff. Yeah. And now, both of us, Emily grew up in rural Lancashire, I grew up in rural Nottinghamshire, and you, you go into Somerset, which is kind of you know our thing on the edge of Bath, and basically almost all we do with our kids as well is just do out, outdoor stuff. And I love it, you know, and um, I get to ride my bike and people don't try to kill me, so that's quite nice as well. <laughs> and that, yeah, and that's the thing. But there is, you always, I think, you always have these hang-ups. I was saying, I was talking to somebody, it's weird, I've got, like I say, my, my 15-year-old's got GCSEs this year and she's really, you know, she's been she's struggling. She's tricky? She's been struggling. I mean, she's gone through, gone through a lot in the last couple of years with her, and actually, um, and she's only just traced her birth family brothers and siblings this, um, in the last 12 months I, it's been the reason I'm going back tonight is I'm actually she's meeting her birth mum for the first time tomorrow wow so she's met her siblings because they're all in different some wow. of them are with grandparents she's not actually met her birth mum she's been in contact uh, texting that kind of thing and we're going to actually I'm taking her to a half sister's birthday tomorrow and we're and she's meeting for the first time mm. so she's going through this GCSE thing and it's interesting because I was talking about one of the hang-ups you do have this sort of like from not being from money is I still have imposter syndrome terribly oh yeah I mean terribly and a lot of it it's not that other people are you know there are it's still even even with some of the successes of the films that we've made mm. you still feel that you're still having to mm. there are barriers there you still feel it and I've been mm. having it was really interesting it was in the build-up to doing Jamie because it was a bigger film American Finance and I'd had this dream a few years ago, but I'd not had it for ages, where, and I've had it three or four times in the last year. And it literally is, I'm doing my A-levels now. Right. And I've not revised because I'm working. And I've got to do my maths, and I've got to do my English lit, the A-levels, and it's all still at the school that I went to, this comp. And, um, and I've not revised, I've not revised. Mm. And I go into this thing, and I sit there, and I've not revised because I've been busy, and I've wung it a little bit, and I fail. But it's me now. It's not me as 16, mm. it's me now, or 18. And they take everything away. And I go to the office the next day and it's like, I can't get in because I've failed my mass A level, mm. but I'm 48. <laughs> yeah. And I keep having this dream. And it must, and I'm like, it's like this kind of, it's all about, at any moment, mm. somebody can just take it away from you. And that's what's happening in this dream. I'm taking yeah. it away because I've kind of, 
somebody's found me out. <laughs> the blagging has failed <laughs> for the last time. And uh, it's true because I think that to public school kids, so to to I used to be quite snobby, like reverse snobby about public school kids. Like a lot of people think I'm assume I'm from a public school because I'm relatively well spoken, especially where, where I come from. Because my mum's French, and so I just didn't have an accent. Was much of an accent, and um, and I, I went. I was offered a place at a scholarship, and I turned it down. Said I want to go to public school, uh, and I probably had a chip on my shoulder. And I, what I've worked out is that everyone goes to shit. It's the thing I was talking about the podcast, and everyone's struggling, but in different ways. But I was resented, or had resented, what they got, and I didn't. Mm. But. But I realised now that what they got more than anything was self-confidence. Yeah. Was that you can do anything. You are great at this. You can go out there and you can take what's yours. Yeah. And I think sometimes that can boil into, you know, like yeah. a bad thing. If you take what's yours or you think, you think is yours, it may not be yours to take. And I think that's a different thing about politics. But for me, you know, I, you know not wanting to do that, pull my socks up and go, you know, it's sort of cliche. But I did. I worked for everything I got. But I always felt like I was not allowed, or still feel like I'm, I wasn't supposed to be here. And so I, I always used to say, and I've changed this now, I always used to say, because I, I try to analyse myself and try and look at my failings, that I go, well, I've always thought I was intimidated by talent. Mm-hmm. So I was, I've never been interested in fame. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not, I, I don't like being around famous people. I think it's a stressful thing, like for the sake of it, because I just think it's such a facile thing. Whereas the, probably the most intimidated I've ever been was serving Chris Morris coming into a wine merchant <laughs> at Bins, just round the corner actually. <laughs> yeah. And I just went, oh my God, it's Chris Morris. Oh my God, like yeah. he's my creative hero. Oh my God, day to day, And like I completely fluffed what I was talking about, which is probably like that's three pounds empty or whatever. And, and so I thought, okay, I'm just intimidated by time. Actually, I've realised I'm intimidated by very well-educated, powerful people. Mm. And I think that's because of imposter syndrome. Mm. And I think, who am I to be here? Mm. Why would I... Why am I good enough to be amongst these people who've had far better educations and know far more about the world and all this kind of stuff? And I know it's bollocks, but um, still there. And it's interesting yeah. because I think... To, to just to polish that off into a, something more positive is I think what I'm interested in is about those moments in a kid's life where they could go one way or the other mm. and if you if you always t- think about the positive influence like I, I heard um, it, again it, I'm, I'm not that as much of a cry as I make out I am but I heard the thing about Ian Wright uh, Ian Wright mm. a footballer coming from a uh, difficult background difficult stepfather I think and you know, being a, a rap scallion, oh. and he went to prison. Oh. And he came out, and there was a guy from a football club who saw his tongue and took him under his wing and fathered him, gave him the fatherly love he'd never had. Um, and having a difficult relationship with my father, that really hit home. And so, because uh, I come from a single parent family, and so I just thought that guy changed his life into one of the greatest footballers in England history. You know, whether you like Arsenal or not, and. I just thought, my God, if it hadn't happened, mm. that what would be in right now? Would he be alive? What would he be doing? Yeah. And, and I think about me, whether I had interventions at any point in my life. I think it's just my mum. My mum was very supportive. Mm. She was great. But again, what was there something for you? And how can we intervene for other people? How can we get people into the film industry? Because you know, as a creative, so, I mean, I guess, I guess it's. I mean, I was very lucky. I had parents that were together from like teenagers 
still together in the 70s I'm great and they always there was never a even growing up like like in a in a little mining town which is like Cunningsbury in South Yorkshire where, mm. where my parents and grandparents were from um, what was interesting is that they never got there was never any holding back like so they were, came from so my dad went to university he was one of the first uh, the first of his family to like mm. both sides of the family mm. to go and do to uni and so because so education so even though he, he you say he was from this he was from this place he never there was never a kind of I never had people saying you can't achieve that there was no can't mm. I guess because the dad had come something right. different yeah. and then I vote so I'm very, I'm very lucky in that like, like that I had parents that would always give you that uh, they wouldn't be able to fund you doing things but they would be able to support you doing something and they you know do you know so they would mm. they've always helped out and still do on both on mine and my wife's side so very lucky in that loving and supportive I think that one of the things that I've noticed now I don't know if it's getting easier or harder I think that the way people consume films it's democratised a little bit than when certainly even when I was started making short films to make a short film you needed 30 grand minimum because it was shot on film yeah because video was rubbish it looked mm. awful now we are moving away from that you can edit we edited it was amazing you know we've edited Dead Man's Shoes on a on a consumer Mac, yeah, and this is England on you know a final cut. If anyone you can buy, right. you didn't have to rent these expensive Soho facilities. So there is mm. a little bit of difference there in people making stuff. Um, it's about opportunity. I mean, we we have uh, you know the people I have employed over the last few years. Um, I've never really. I don't. I don't take any notice of what school they went to. Mm. Uh, it's the person. It's the person. Yeah. So the more that infiltrates into general consciousness, and the more opportunities, the more just don't you want get. to keep mixing it. Yeah. It's just all you could, and I'm not gonna say mix it. There's nobody, but at the same time, people that work with me and for me, and I have not. You know, some people did go up to mm. private school. I have no, op- I have mm. no issue. It's just as long as it's an even, more of an even playing field. I, I lost, started to lose more and more my um, my prejudice, I guess. From I except as I'm more and more honest with myself, is uh, that um, because my wife went to public school, but her mum paid for her to go there, and uh, but she said she got, had such incredible opportunities, and she always says to me, "Imagine what would have happened to you if you'd um, gone to gone to, taken that scholarship and gone to a proper school." I, I don't I don't know if she said proper school, mm-hmm. maybe I'm imagining it, but I really hate that because I go, "Yeah, but that's regret. Yeah, that's that's hindsight and that's bullshit. You know, I did what I did." Yeah. Um, and I'm very happy I've been with her for 24 years and I've got two kids and yeah. you know things are pretty good you know and uh, and so if I'd gone and done X I could have got run over a bus by a bus the next day it's bullshit you can never you can't you can never have I, I mean I've done this there's, I won't then mention there's been a couple of things on TV recently that I've absolutely loved and we had an opportunity to make them at one time mm. at the time it was the we couldn't make it didn't have the capacity or the time mm. Or resources, and you, you, the one thing you do do it. I still do it, but you cannot live by the. You've, you you make mistakes for a reason. Mm. You've just got to. Kind you make of the best out. decision at the time. Yeah, and you at the time, and I've made, I've taken, I've taken financial hits, 
you know, I was offered something, like there was one time when I was offered some profits in something, uh, but we just got off, we just got a house, uh, it was a bit of a wreck, I needed the money, mm. we got a kick, you know, um, and so I took the fee I wanted and forgave the, the, the if you like, the, the shares, mm. because I needed the money at that time. Mm. I'd have made that different decision. I'd have, <laughs> that was the, the the difference. I mean, financially, it was huge. It was, it's like Alec Guinness when he invested was, in Star Wars. Yeah, it would have been an amazing, <laughs> not, not you know, not that scale. Not that scale. But it, was, it was it was tens of thousands of pounds better off. I'd have taken that. But you go actually, that led me onto that. Sure. So that time when I did, when I made the first film off of Warp, which was my wrongs, which was four grand fee with Chris Morris, brilliant for a year made me meet Paddy. Paddy introduced me to Shane. Yeah? The, you know, that meant led to Dead Man's Shoes, mm. which led to This Is England, which led to... The, you know, so all yeah. of these things, all of these things that at the time feel like you might have made the wrong choice were the right choice for me. And those films may or may not have got made, and if they hadn't got made, they wouldn't be the same as they are now. Yeah, and, you so, know, that, yeah. so that, that's... So you, you can't, you know... I'm doing this now because, you know, you've got the, like I say, 15-year-old and... A, and Evie's nearly 21 at uni and you're kind of going and they get the, 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 the anxiety the anxiety of comp, the comparing people in social media which we never had yeah it's really frightening me and it frightens mm. the hell out of me mm. me even that I don't you know I don't I do it and I think I'm wise or wiser than the <laughs> kids but I you do it and there's that and I keep trying to get over to my I, somebody sent me this amazing Japanese uh, proverb which is that you have three faces. Uh, the first face is the face that you show to the world. Okay, that's your first face. The second face is the face that you show to your closest, mm-hmm. your wife, your kids, your f- close friends. Mm-hmm. And the third face is who you really are, and that's the true reflection of you. Mm-hmm. It's a very old Japanese. But then, I re- then somebody related to it to social media in that you might be in your third face, how you feel, and you're looking through social media, it's going through, and you're comparing your friends who are showing their first face. Yes. And I was trying to explain this to my kids. That's good. And it was a really good way to do it, because I said, remember that holiday? We have had the worst family holidays. You can imagine, <laughs> near drownings, accidents, illnesses, terrorist incidents in Egypt, all these, like literally the worst holidays ever. And I said to my kids, look at the pictures of our holiday that we posted. They looked like we had the best time ever. Can you remember how much of a nightmare that was right. when we were stuck in Egypt for five days? Because nobody wants to post their shit. But look at how happy shit. we look. Yeah. And that's something. So when you're looking and you're, yeah. not, you're, you're sad on a Sunday night or wherever and your friends are out and, they're out and you're, you, you're, you've got to revise or whatever, you're comparing that third face to their first face. So just bear that in mind. Mm. And it was the one thing that has actually stuck. You know, it was, mm. you know, like you sort of, so I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's terrifying. And, yeah, it's true. And uh, how are you doing for time, by the way? I've probably got another five. Okay, I, I we'll polish off you, say. Yeah, well, if we pause it for the loo, because I've drunk quite yeah. a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can do this. Well, then we'll do a, a, can edit that a out. conclusion. <laughs> Is that all right? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. steps of Mark walking back in yes. um, so did, I think that concludes it really nicely because you know something I've realised having used social media a lot especially to sort of get Volpine going and, and being really into that 
I'm really stepping away from social media and seeing the benefits of that when I have a breakdown is basically coming back in is because I run an online company I, mm. I kind of need social yeah. media but I've fallen out of love with Twitter because I think that's changed I like, like Instagram it's quite visual and creative or it can be but but the point is and something I'm really trying to get to with Fram is I want Fram to be a less alpha male everything's perfect male brand but still masculine mm-hmm. um, you know I, I as a man to do I want to feel that whatever my masculinity is you know everyone's different I've got my wife's lips um, uh, nail varnish on my mm-hmm. married that's like a solidarity solidarity okay. thing I have with my wife as on my wedding ring finger as I have nail varnish anyway so that's a little bit of, I'm quite probably quite feminine for a straight bloke quite over emotive etc but the point is that I um, I want to also have a brand that talks honestly mm-hmm. about life and that we all go through shit and that everything I find out all the time about talking to you or anyone else in podcasts the people who DM me you know problems is that you could have the coolest supposedly coolest richest you know uh, most entertaining person and they, they've gone through massive shit oh. you know because it's life. We're all going to go through shit. Some of us go through worse things than others. But social media, as you say, is toxic because it presents a veneer. Yeah. And the problem is when you keep getting bombarded with veneer, eventually start to believe that's the truth. Yeah. And it's just not true. And that, for me, having done a lot of marketing and been working advertising and film, you know, and, and those sort of veneer aspects uh, of, of film, basically, is I've realised that maybe... In the past, I've helped undermine mental health by saying that everything's great. Mm. So what I want to do with Fram is do something beautiful yeah. and show that life is beautiful, because it mm. is, mm. but also show that it's got shit as well. well yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's you endure. I mean, you can have literally long periods of time when you're going through, especially, you know, like, this, you know, when you're, you've got... You've got kids going through stuff, you've got parents mm. getting old, you know, it's a, you know, it's all, it's tough, it's, it's a tough time. You know, in terms of like, I was talking to some, somebody the other day who, you know, um, they were really struggling for somebody, they had an emergency and the, pe- the parents were not very well, that they might normally rely on and they couldn't get them to look after their kid because another kid had to go into hospital. It was just yeah. one of these things and you're going, but actually it's not, you know, that's what, uh, you, you, that comparison thing is all because you compare these like amazing people who are rich mm. and famous mm. and that's what Instagram seems to do with a lot of people. But then you could, you know, you've got to be grateful for that. I mean, I did this thing last, I did a thing for charity on Friday night. I did this sleep out for Roundabout, which is a homeless charity in Sheffield for 16 to 24 year olds. And we did this sleep out. Um, it was freezing, it was cold, but, and we did it, we raised some money for charity. We met some of it. And then, but on Saturday morning, I didn't have a very good night's sleep on this cold concrete floor, but I went back and I got into my bed. Mm. And I slept... Context. Slept till half, slept half a day. And if I had to think about doing that mm. on the Saturday night, I would have just... Oh, God, it filled me with dread. The fact that I might have to do that. Yeah. And, that and people whose lives that... And, you, mm. you know, so this is... But, you, you know, comparing you... I've got... You know, gratitude is something that you should really practice, I think. Yeah. And, and just go, you know what, actually... I haven't got the green light on this project that we're going to get, which mm. might have got us our fancy holiday of this year. We're going to have to hold off on the holiday. Mm. But I've got a nice house, you know? Mm. It's warm. I can feed you. I can look after the kids. You know, and you're saying about that. That's always something. And, and somehow, 
Well, it was interesting for me doing this experience of the night. We did it to raise money. There was no other, and this charity is amazing in Sheffield. We've supported them for a bit. But what actually it did more than anything when I got on the tram, going back up to the house on the next day, and it's half six, and it was like the frost on the car, and you're freezing, you're literally aching. I did one night, mm. just one night, and I was destroyed. We, we forget how lucky we are, oh, especially in this country. Most people oh, in this country are incredibly yeah. lucky. Yeah. It often doesn't feel like it, but um, when the rest of the world is yeah. pretty much living in poverty, yeah, 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 got, yeah. super lucky. Cool, yeah. Well, so, uh, yeah, so I'm going to have to go yeah. to my... Um, before you go, here's Prezi. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, a, it's a jacket. Um, oh, do you don't have to try it now if you're short, short of time. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to an award ceremony and I've got my, my Sheffield puffer jacket on, which is really... <laughs> so this is going to help me look cool. Is that... So I'm going to wear it. Oh, cool. That's Thank cool. You. Well, can I try yeah. it on? Yeah, 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 of course you can. I'm at my post shoot weight as well. I'm a stone. Oh, you're always a stone heavier after um, after coming off a shoot because of craft services. Craft services catering. Yeah. Bacon in the morning. I mean, <laughs> I never had bacon at home, but if you're way right. at six o'clock before you're back, I always remember sausage rolls. Yeah. Um, yeah. So might be a bit. Oh wow, that's perfect. Good fit. Oh, bro, that's gorgeous. Perfect. I'm digging that, Nick. Thank you very much. <laughs> very beautiful. I know you can't see it on the podcast, but trust me, it's a very nice. I didn't mean to jacket. do a cheesy here's presentation by product thing, but since no, no, we're here, I'm very. <laughs> thank you very much. Cool. I'm really into that. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. What more can I add? Um, just do the usual plugs so you can go to fromjackets.com and buy a jacket or look at jackets or completely ignore jackets um from jacket uh, is the instagram and la 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 um but I, I just think um if you haven't seen some of those films and tv programs please do um I, I know some people who may be put off by some of the subject matter but but they are enjoyable they're, they're not always heavy going um I, I love the light and the dark and you know for me Probably, you know, definitely top five films of all time is Dead Man's Shoes. Um, I would definitely watch that. This is England. It's incredible. Uh, God, oh, Jesus, I can just list them all. Um, I would definitely watch The Virtues. I am a bit scared of it because I think it will be pretty full on, but I know I'll, you know, I'll appreciate it when I do. But uh, whatever you do, just enjoy a bit of culture and rem- remember that the people behind it aren't all sitting in gilded mansions um, smoking massive cigars they're working incredibly fucking hard to make it happen and have jumped through a lot of hoops to get there um, for whatever background you know everyone tries hard to get to that point there are no easy wins into uh, film or that sort of level of creativity um, but most of all look after yourself remember that if you're struggling uh, there are other people struggling even though it may not look like it and uh, take care bye